Well, we've been in Philippians chapter 1. I would encourage you now to open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1, and I'm going to begin this morning by reading our passage for us. Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. And it, I will begin at the end of verse 18, where Paul says this, Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. I read an article this past week about the global depression drug market. And this article stated that by 2031, the sales of depression drugs are expected to surpass $20 billion. And in the U.S., the, the country where we have the right to life liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, they're anticipating that the market is going to grow one and a half times what it currently is. We should then ask, why is there so much depression in the land where there is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? Answer? Because people live their lives dependent upon their feelings. They're controlled and driven by their feelings. According to the FDA website, they tell us that depression is treated with one of two things. Medicine or counseling. And sometimes both. The FDA goes on and says this, everyone feels sad at times. People with depression feel sad most days. These feelings can get in the way of everyday life. You see what they're telling us? Feelings, feelings, feelings. And then it says this, Listen to the wording. If you are depressed, you may. And then it goes on and tells you what you will experience if you're depressed. Notice it, it doesn't say signs of depression are. But it says, if you are depressed, you may. And it says this, feel sad. Feel tired all the time. Sleep too little or all the time. Cry a lot. Lose interest in eating. Eat too much. Have trouble paying attention. Feel nervous or cranky. Think about death or trying to kill yourself. Or notice that things that used to make you happy do not make you happy anymore. Notice what they're telling us. It's all about your feelings. What's the solution then? Medication. Get medicated. In fact, the FDA goes on and doesn't even talk about counseling. And the rest of their website, it doesn't even talk about counseling. They just go on and talk about antidepressants as your hope to recovery from depression. According to them, the hope for depression is medicine. But the Apostle Paul gives us a completely different answer. A completely different answer. In fact, Paul is in circumstances that none of us will ever face in this life. He's in prison, chained to a guard 24-7. Because of his faith in Christ. 
His public ministry has now turned into a jail ministry. His freedom to travel about has now turned into imprisonment in Rome. And he's been in chains for almost four years at the point that he's writing Philippians. Two years were spent in Caesarea after he was first arrested in Jerusalem. And then two more years were spent in Rome awaiting his trial before Caesar. And going through four years of difficult circumstances, you would think that Paul would be medicated for depression. But he wasn't. And in fact, even though all of his difficult circumstances, even through all of the difficult circumstances that he was going through, he was a man who was filled with joy. He was filled with joy. Why? Because he didn't live his life dependent upon his feelings. His joy was not dependent upon his feelings or his circumstances. His feelings did not control him, and neither did his circumstances. They had no control over his life. And through all of his difficult circumstances, he was a man who remained joyful he was joyful in fact we saw that last week at the end of verse 18 where he says and in this i rejoice after having other christian preachers seek to cause him distress in his imprisonment he didn't get depressed he remained joyful joyful filled with joy because he knew that christ was being preached the gospel was going forth. And as the gospel was going forth, he remained joyful. It brought him great joy. Now, as I've said before, happiness and joy are not the same thing. There's a difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is something that is dependent upon your circumstances. We all get happy and we all get sad. It's something that comes and goes with our circumstances. It comes and goes dependent, depending upon our happenings. The things that are happening in our life. And it's related to pleasure or, or satisfaction that you get from the circumstances that you're in. But not joy. Not joy. If you remember, the Holman Bible Dictionary defines joy as a state of delight and well-being that results from knowing and serving God. It goes on and says, joy is the fruit of a right relationship with God. It's not something people can create by their own efforts. Joy is not something that you get because of the circumstances that you're in. But it's something that you can have no matter what circumstance you are in. We can have joy. Just as the Apostle Paul had joy. And joy was something that he was able to have because of two realities that were present in his life. And I'll give those to you in just a moment. But first, I want us to look at Paul's joy at the end of verse 18. Notice what he says there. At the very end of verse 18 there, he says, Yes, and I will rejoice. I will rejoice. Now, as I just said, right before Paul says these words, he's just told us that he rejoices in the fact that Christ is being proclaimed. Even though there are preachers that are preaching out there against him, they are still preaching the gospel, and the gospel is going forth. They're trying to cause him distress in his imprisonment with the ministry that he has in prison. And yet Paul still rejoices because he knows that the gospel is going forth. In fact, look at the beginning of verse 18. He says, what then? Only, in th only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. He rejoices in the fact that the gospel has gone forth and that Christ is being proclaimed. 
And in the Greek, that word rejoice there is a present active indicative. I'm going to get a little nerdy with you here this morning. Just hold on, because this is important. It's a present active indicative, that first word rejoice there. Meaning this, he is voluntarily rejoicing. And his rejoicing is ongoing and repetitive. That is, joy is an active thing in his life. He is actively rejoicing. He rejoices and rejoices and rejoices when he hears that Christ is being proclaimed. But then in the next line, at the end of verse 18, which by the way, most scholars believe that this line should go with verse 19. In this line he says, yes, and I will rejoice. I will rejoice. That second word rejoice there in the Greek grammar has a little different form. It's a little bit different from the previous word rejoice that he had just used. This word is a future passive indicative, meaning this, that he anticipates that he is going to continue rejoicing in the future as he anticipates the reality of what is to come in his life. He's saying there, whatever the future is for me, I will rejoice. You see, Paul was a man who not only continually rejoiced in his life up to this point, but even with the unknown of the future, he doesn't know whether he's going to live or whether he's going to die. Even with the unknown of the future, he knows that he will continue to rejoice in the future, no matter what his circumstances are. What he is saying here is, nothing can steal my joy. Nothing. He won't let anything in life take his joy away from him. Nothing can steal his joy. Now, let me be clear was life hard for Paul it was life was difficult did he have hardships and sorrows you bet he did in fact if you look over at chapter 2 and verse 17 notice what he says there chapter 2 and verse 17 he says but even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith. I rejoice and share my joy with you all. That phrase there, being poured out as a drink offering, speaks of the closeness of death. It was the final act in a sacrifice. As you would come and bring your sacrifice... There would be death that is there. And the final part of that sacrifice would be to pour your drink offering then on that sacrifice. That's what Paul is referring to here. He's referring here to the possibility of his martyrdom. That he would be killed for his faith. And yet what did he do in the midst of that hardship? He rejoiced. He rejoiced. Paul also had sorrow. He had sorrow in his life. Look at chapter 2 and verse 27. Notice what he says there. For indeed he, that's referring to Epaphroditus, Epaphroditus was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him. And not on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have, notice this, sorrow upon sorrow. Paul says here, God saved Epaphroditus and showed mercy not only to Epaphroditus, but God also showed mercy to me. God was merciful to me so that I wouldn't have more sorrow added to my life. What does it mean? It means that Paul had sorrow in his life. He's a man who dealt with sorrow. As one commentator says, Paul reminds us that joy is found not in perfect circumstances, but in the midst of the hard and painful realities of life. 
Paul still had sorrow in his life. Paul's life was not perfect. It was far from perfect. His circumstances were not perfect. But even in the midst of his sorrow and difficult circumstances, he was still able to rejoice because he was a man that was filled with joy. And why? Why was he filled with joy? Well, because of two realities in his life. Let me give you the first one. The first reality is because of what he knows. Because of what he knows. The first reason why Paul was able to rejoice and would continue to rejoice in the midst of his difficult circumstances is because of what he knows. Look back at our text in chapter 1 there and look at what he says in verse 19. He begins there and he says, For I know, for I know. That word know there refers to a knowledge that is without doubt. Or to know with certainty. That's what he's saying there. I know with certainty. You know, we're living in a day when the world is telling us that we cannot have certainty, right? There is no certainty. There's nothing to be certain about. Truth has become relative. Everyone has their own truth, which means to the world, truth cannot be known. There's nothing to be certain about. But Paul here reminds us that we can know, that we can be certain, that there is truth to be known with certainty, and we can bet our lives upon that knowledge. That's what Paul did. He could rejoice because of what he knew, because of what he was certain of. And what was he certain of? Well, he was certain that he would be delivered. Paul was certain that he would be delivered. Look again at verse 19. He says, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. This is going to turn out for my deliverance. Now, we should stop here and look at this verse and ask this question. What is the this that Paul is referring to here? Notice what he says there. For I know that, that this will turn out for my deliverance. What is this that you're referring to here, Paul? Well, this is referring not only to his current circumstances and his imprisonment, but also his future circumstances. That is, whatever God has me in now, I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. And whatever God has in store for me in the future, that will turn out for my deliverance as well. Whatever it is that God has in store for me, this is going to turn out for my deliverance. God is going to deliver me. He has total and complete confidence in God. Notice that. Total and complete confidence in God. He's certain that God is going to deliver him. Now, what does Paul mean here by deliverance? How is Paul going to be delivered? Well, some think that he's referring to deliverance from his imprisonment. That is, in a physical sense, he is going to be released from prison. His trial before Caesar is about to come up, and some think that his deliverance is that Caesar is going to release him or deliver him from prison. But others think that Paul here is referring to his death. To his death, or his ultimate salvation. That he would be delivered through death, through martyrdom. He won't be released from prison, but he would die, and what would happen after he dies? He would go and be with Christ, right? He'll be delivered. In fact, the Greek word for deliverance there can also be translated as salvation, Salvation. It's the same word that we would use for salvation. And so what Paul is saying here is, even if they kill me, I will be delivered. 
because he'll depart and be with Christ. He'll have his eternal salvation complete and he will be glorified with Christ. Delivered from this world of sin and go and be with Christ for eternity. And what better deliverance is there than that, right? Than to depart and to be with Christ? There is no better deliverance in this world than that. Than to be with Christ. And so Paul could be using deliver here to refer to his release from prison, which would then allow him to go and glorify Christ by continuing to preach the gospel to all the lost that are there in Rome, or he could be referring to his death here, which he will glorify Christ in his death by dying for Christ and going to be with him for all of eternity. So we would ask, well, which one is it? What is he referring to here? What is this deliverance that Paul is referring to here? Is it his release from prison or is it his death and going to be with Christ? Answer, yes. It's both. I believe that he's referring to both here. It's both because Paul doesn't know whether he's going to be released by Caesar or if he's going to die as a martyr in prison. In fact, look at the end of verse 20. Notice what he says at the end of verse 20. He says, Christ will even now as always be exalted in my body, whether by what? Life or by death. By life or by death. He's saying if I'm released from prison and I continue to go and live, Christ is going to be exalted. If I die here in prison, Christ is going to be exalted. He is going to deliver me. No matter what happens, I will be delivered. And Christ is going to be exalted. And in that I will rejoice. Paul was able to rejoice because of what he knew. He knew one way or another, that he was going to be delivered. Now, where did Paul get this thinking from? Where did this thinking come from? Where did he get this knowledge of deliverance from? Well, hold your finger in Philippians chapter 1 and turn in your Bibles to Job. Job chapter 13. Go to Psalm And take a left. And you'll hit Job. Job chapter 13. Now, did Job have an easy life? He didn't. Lots of difficulties in his life. Hard circumstances that he went through. Lots of trials that he went through. And even though Job was a righteous man, Job still had difficulties in his life. He was a man who suffered much. And while he was suffering, Job said this. Notice in Job 13 and verse 15, he says this. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Nevertheless, I will argue my ways before him. But notice then in verse 16, he says, This also will be my salvation or Deliverance. What Job says here is word for word what Paul quotes back in Philippians chapter 1. Word for word. This also will be my deliverance. This also will be my salvation. Paul in his difficult circumstances quotes Job In his difficult circumstances. Paul knew that God would deliver him just as he delivered Job. And Job knew that in his difficult circumstances, whether he lived or whether he died, God would deliver him as well. That's why Job says in Job 19.26, he says, Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall see God. He says, I am going to see God. He's going to deliver me. And I'm going to see him and I'm going to be with him for all of eternity. And Paul knew that as well. Paul knew that. 
Whatever the outcome is that God has in store, Paul knows that he will be delivered and in that he can rejoice. He didn't fear living and being persecuted. He didn't fear death. He didn't fear martyrdom. He knew that whatever God's plan was for him, God would deliver him and in that he can rejoice. Now, how is Paul going to be delivered? Well, he knows that it is through both human means and divine means. Turn back over to Philippians chapter 1. Turn back to our text there. And look again at verse 19. Where he says this, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance, notice, through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. He knew that he would be delivered, notice there, through human means. Through human means, as the Philippian believers were there praying for him. Remember, the Philippian believers loved Paul. They loved him and they cared for him. There was a special relationship that he had with them and that they had with him. They loved him. As we saw earlier in chapter 1 and verse 7, they are partakers of grace with Paul. There was this bond that they had, this unity that they had in the gospel, in ministry. And they showed that not only through their giving of a monetary gift to Paul, but also by praying for him. And Paul knew this. Paul knew that the Philippian believers were praying for him while he was in prison. And Paul knew that God answers the prayers of his children, right? He knew that. God answers prayer. And as they prayed for his deliverance, he knew that God would hear those prayers and that God would answer them. As one commentator says, one of the most wonderful truths of Scripture is that God works, through, works his purposes through the prayers of his people. That's why I delight in our prayer ministry. I love it that every single week we have those that are gathered together that are praying for us. Because God works his purposes through the prayers of his people. And Paul knew this. This is knowledge that Paul had. But he also knew that God works through his spirit. That God works through his spirit. Through divine means. And the two go hand in hand. Prayer and the spirit of God. The two go hand in hand. And what Paul means here is that God will provide through his spirit whatever it is he needed to be sustained through his circumstances. That is, God is going to, through the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, He is going to provide all that Paul needed to endure this trial. And He would provide it through His Spirit. Talk about confidence. Talk about faith. Paul was a man of faith. And he had confidence that you are praying for me and your prayers and the work of the Holy Spirit is going to deliver me. He had confidence. And how was he able to have this confident faith? Because of what he knew to be true about God. He knew that God answers prayer. And he knew that God gives provision to his people through his spirit. Paul knew this. And so with the knowledge that the Philippians were praying for his deliverance and the knowledge that the spirit of God would provide all that he needed to endure and ultimately be delivered, with that knowledge, all Paul could do is rejoice. That's all he could do is rejoice. My brothers and sisters are praying for me and the Spirit of God is working in my life. What else do I need? Nothing. And what's his response? Joy. 
he rejoiced. And he could rejoice in his present circumstances. And he could rejoice in his future circumstances. Notice what he says there in verse 20. He says, according to my earnest expectation and hope. Speaking of his future circumstances. According to my earnest expectation and hope, Paul was expectantly waiting to be delivered in the near future. And he had hope that he would be delivered. Now, I want you to look at this word hope. And notice, this word hope is not some kind of wishful thinking. That's not what hope is. Hope in the Christian life is not wishful thinking. That's not what Paul has. Wishful thinking. Oh, I hope that somehow I might be delivered. As if maybe he's not going to be delivered. No, that's not the kind of hope that he had. This hope that he has is a certainty about the future. And that's the hope that you and I as believers can have. Certainty about our future. We have hope. We don't have hope like the world has hope, wishful thinking. No, we have hope as God tells us to have hope. Certainty about our future, that our future is going to be with Christ for all of eternity. That's the hope that we have. You see, a lot of Christians fall into depression because they forget about the hope that they have in Christ. Because they forget about the certainty that they have in Christ. They begin to focus on themselves and their current circumstances. And they begin to think, woe is me. Look at me. Look at my circumstances. Look at all the things that I am going through, God. And they lose hope because they've taken their eyes off of Christ. Not Paul. Not Paul. Paul never took his eyes off of Christ. His eyes were fixed upon Christ. And he had confident expectations and confident hope that his future was glorious. Do you have that hope this morning? Paul had it. Whether he lived or whether he died, he knew that he would be delivered. And so he was certain, because of the knowledge that he had, that he would be delivered. But there was something else that he was certain about. He was also certain that he will not be put to shame. He was certain that he would not be put to shame. Look again at verse 20. He says that I will not be put to shame in anything. Now, imprisonment and execution were shameful things in the Roman world. If you were imprisoned, or you were going to be executed, that was a very shameful thing. The Romans would look at you and they would say, shame on you. What have you done to deserve this? But Paul knows that being in prison for Christ or dying for Christ, was nothing to be ashamed of. Remember, he told us in Romans 1.16 that he was not ashamed of the gospel, right? For it is the power of God unto salvation. He's not ashamed of the gospel. And he knew what Peter tells us in 1 Peter 4.16, but if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. Paul knew that suffering for Christ was nothing to be ashamed of. And therefore, suffering for Christ was not going to steal his joy. It couldn't take his joy from him. In fact, he would rejoice that he was worthy to suffer for Christ. Just as the apostles did in Acts chapter 5. Listen to the experience of the apostles in Acts chapter 5 and verse 40. It says this, they, that is the council of Pharisees and Sadducees, took his, that is Gamaliel's advice, and after calling the apostles in, they, that is the council, they flogged the apostles and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then released them. 
difficulties, hardships in their life. But then it says in verse 41, so they, that is the apostles, went on their way from the presence of the council rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for His name. They were flogged. They were beaten by the council for preaching Christ. And they left the council and they rejoiced that they had been counted worthy to suffer for Christ. They weren't sad. They didn't go to the local counseling ministry or even the local hospital. They rejoiced that they had been considered worthy to suffer for His name. And it says this in verse 42, And every day in the temple from house to house they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Why did they do that? Because they're filled with joy. Because they had joy in Christ. And they weren't ashamed to suffer. But they rejoiced. And there was the same mindset of Paul. He knew that he would not be ashamed of anything. In fact, the only thing that he would be ashamed of is to not hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. That would be the only thing that would bring shame to the Apostle Paul. But he was ashamed of nothing. And he was certain that if he continued to live for Christ in his imprisonment, or even if he died for Christ, there was nothing to be ashamed of. Nothing. And so he was certain that he would be delivered. He was certain that he will not be put to shame. He was also certain that Christ would be exalted in his body. Look again at the middle of verse 20. He says, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now as always be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Now, what is Paul about to face? Paul's in prison in Rome, and what is he about to face? He's about to face his trial before the Roman court. He knows that his trial is coming up, and he's going to have to take a stand before the Roman court and they are going to ask him why he is in chains, just as I'm sure the guards did, right? As they came in 24-7 to be locked up to him. Every six-hour shift, there was a new guard that would come in. And they would take the cuffs off of the one guard. They would put it on the other guard. They would lock him up next to Paul. And what was one of the first questions that they probably asked? Why are you in chains? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Let me share Christ with you. <laughs> and he would preach the gospel to them. That same question is going to be asked by the Roman court. So Paul, why are you in chains? Why are you here? Paul knew what he was about to face. And what would Paul do in the midst of that trial? He's going to preach the gospel. In that courtroom, he's going to preach the gospel. And how would he do it? He would do it with boldness. With boldness. That word boldness there in some translations, they translate it as courage. As courage. And that word there refers to outspokenness, frankness, or boldness of speech. Listen to this. Especially in the presence of a person of high rank. And isn't that usually when people are afraid to speak? When someone of high rank is around. Maybe your boss will hear you share the gospel. And fire you. So you lack boldness. For Paul, maybe Caesar would hear him preach the gospel and put him to death. But he says, he will not be put to shame. 
but will exalt Christ as he speaks with all boldness. And notice that as he speaks with this boldness for Christ, notice he doesn't say, and everyone there in that room, in that trial, is going to look at me and think, wow, what a courageous man. Wow, what a brave guy you are, Paul, to stand before Caesar and preach the gospel. Paul doesn't say that. But what does he say? Christ will be exalted. Christ will be exalted. His goal was not to bring attention to himself. It was not to make people look at him and boast in Paul's courage or boldness or bravery. His goal was that Christ would be exalted. That was the goal in his life. And he knew, he was certain, that Christ would be exalted as he preached the gospel before the Roman court. But how will this boldness happen? How is Paul going to have this boldness? To preach Christ? Well, he already told us two ways. Through the prayers of the Philippian believers and the provision of the Holy Spirit. He knew that he wasn't going to be able to muster up this boldness on his own. As if somehow he was going to be the hero of the day. That's not the courage, that's not the boldness that he's talking about there. But he knew that as the saints were praying for him, and as the Holy Spirit provided for him what he needed in that moment, that he would be able to preach the gospel with boldness. Not because of himself, but because of the Spirit. And he was certain about this. And it was this knowledge that he had that brought him great joy in the midst of his difficult circumstances. And just quickly, where did he get this knowledge from? Where did Paul get this knowledge from? How does Paul know this? I'll tell you where he got his knowledge from. From the Scriptures. He got it from the Scriptures. We already saw that he quoted Job, right? He quoted Job, knowing that just as God delivered Job, that God would deliver him as well. Paul also knew Psalm 119 and verse 46, which says this, I will also speak of your testimonies before kings and shall not be ashamed. Or Psalm 18, verse 46, The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of my salvation. Paul had this knowledge. He had this certainty because of what he knew to be true of God as God has revealed it in His Word. Listen, church. That is why I am encouraging you all the time to be in the Word. Know the Scriptures. You want joy in your life? Read God's Word. And you will find joy. I promise you, you will. The more that you know and believe and rest upon the Word of God, the greater your joy will be in your life. The more that you know God's Word, the greater joy you will have. And I can promise you it's true. How can I promise you? Because God reveals it to us in His Word. Psalm 119 and verse 77. We read it this morning. Your law is my delight. Uh, I find delight in your law, O God. Your law brings me joy. Or Psalm 119, 111. I have inherited your testimonies forever, for they are the joy of my heart. That's the psalmist saying, I love your law, O Lord. I love your word, O Lord. And the more that I come to know you through your word, the more joy that I find in my life. Church, do you want joy? Read his word. And you will find joy. 
And that was the Apostle Paul. He knew God's word. And it brought him great joy. And so the first reason that Paul was able to rejoice was because of what he knows. The second reason Paul was able to rejoice was because of who he knows. Because of who he knows. Look at verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul's life was not centered around Paul. It wasn't centered around Paul. Paul's life was centered around Christ. It was centered around Christ. As one commentator says, the foundation, center, purpose, direction, power, and meaning of Paul's life is Christ. It's all Christ. Christ is who he knows. And because he knows Christ, he has great joy in his life. If you were to look at this verse here in the Greek, the word is, is not in there. Although it's rightly supplied by the translators, it's not there. But this is how it would sound with a literal interpretation of the Greek. Here's how this verse would sound. For me to live, Christ. To die, gain. That's what he's saying there. To live, Christ. To die, gain. It was all about Christ. That's it. Christ was everything to Paul. Christ was all that he lived for. And if he was released from prison, that would be an opportunity for Christ to be exalted in his life. He's going to go out and live for Christ. He knew that he wasn't going to leave prison and begin to live for himself as a free man. Oh great, I'm free from prison. Great. Now I can go enjoy all the pleasures that I've always wanted. Nope. He was going to continue to live for Christ. Why? Because Christ was his life. Christ was his life. There was nothing else in Paul's life to live for. Nothing. Every moment of every day in Paul's life was a moment to live for Christ. If he was in hardships, it was an opportunity to live for Christ. If he was free and prosperous, that was an opportunity to live for Christ. He knew the words of Jesus in Luke 9.23. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Paul died to himself and he lived for Christ every day, daily. Christ was his Lord. Christ was his master. Christ was his savior. Christ was his friend. And to die, it's gain. Even if they take his life, it's gain because he knows that at the moment of death, he will be present with the Lord. Friend, is Christ your life? Is Christ your everything? Is Christ the only one that you live for? Listen, if Christ is not your everything, then the circumstances in your life will cause you to lose joy and you will be controlled by your feelings and your circumstances. You will. But if Christ is your life, then you can live a life full of joy. Just as Paul did. It was a life that was filled with joy. Charles Spurgeon said this, there is a marvelous medicinal power in joy. Most medicines are distasteful. But this, which is the best of all medicines, is sweet to the taste and comforting to the heart. Holy joy will oil the wheels of your life's machinery. Holy joy will strengthen you for your daily labor. Holy joy will beautify you and give you an influence over the lives of others. The greatest medication that you and I need is joy. 
And we find it by knowing God's word and by knowing him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the joy that we have in Christ. Father, we know that the world is seeking and searching. They're looking for answers in their life. They're trying to find joy, but they will never find it apart from you. Because we know what your word tells us. In Galatians chapter 5, that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Lord, we know that joy comes to those who seek you, who search after you. Father, may we find our greatest joy in you. And Lord, even in the difficult circumstances that we go through in life, Father, help us to remember your word, to run back to your word, where we can open it, to read it, to delight in it, and find joy in it. Father, we thank you for Christ who has saved us, who has redeemed us, who paid the price on the cross that none of us could pay, the price for our sin so that we could be saved. Father, may we rejoice in him and what he has accomplished for us. And may we continue to live for Christ and for his glory, that he may be exalted in our lives, whether by life or by death. May it be all to the exaltation and glory of Christ in him alone. We pray this in his name. Amen.